Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 102 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the works of writer, director, producer J.J. Abrams and the extended Bad Robot universe. I'm your co-host, Matt Crandall, here as always with Marcelo Inostroza as we continue our rewatch of Fringe. Today we are talking about season three, episodes two and three. The first episode we are talking about today, The Box, aired September 30th, 2010. Written by Josh Singer and Graham Rowland, directed by Jeffrey Hunt. Marcelo, have you ever heard of Bono? Yes, I've heard of Bono. The one thing that I love about this episode, you guys may have remembered from last week, that I was very, very curious about why Walternet needed Fo Olivia to go to our universe and basically and basically become a mole, right? And this episode does a really good job of giving us an idea of why Fo Olivia is in our universe and what she's doing. So this box has a piece of technology that the secretary needs, or it, it has a piece of technology that works with the doomsday machine that the secretary was trying to build. We actually get a look at how Fo Olivia starts to integrate herself to our fringe team. And I really like how Anator played Fo Olivia in this episode because she's completely different in my estimation. The way that she talks and the way that she carries herself is very, very specific. It's very, very pointed and it's very, very slow. So I'm I'm really happy that Anator took a completely different angle with the way that she plays our Olivia and the way that she plays Fo Olivia, and I thought that it was to great effect in this episode in particular. She really gets to play around with being a completely different character while still maintaining some of the cover of Olivia Dunham, but Fo Olivia definitely doesn't feel like our Dunham. And it's frustrating as the episode goes on where other people aren't catching the things that we as viewers who know the truth are catching. So we're noticing like, okay, somebody has got to realize this is not our Olivia. The jig is up, but they don't notice. And this entire episode is on our side rather than the season premiere. Olivia was all on their side for you know, all of it except the last minute and a half. So it is interesting to spend all of this time without finding out what's happening to our Olivia at all in this episode. But we do get a lot of information that faux Olivia is working with Newton. So she has located the head of the shapeshifters. They've teamed up. But there is a little bit of her kind of not trusting someone because we... We learn more as this goes that in the opening sequence, three guys are digging up this basement and they find a weird device. They open the device and everyone in the house except one man dies. Horrible, horrible death because of, as we discover, a weird frequency, which Fringe loves to do things with weird frequencies that you hear and you die and magic headphones that will cancel out somebody's ability or whatever. But so we find out that 
Newton only sent two of these guys, so he doesn't know where this third guy came from. So I thought that was really interesting. And the reason that the third guy is able to walk out with whatever they were digging up is because he is deaf. So he wasn't affected by this mutant frequency that fries your brain and turns your eyes all milky, which was cool. But then when he shows up to Olivia's place, it's it's interesting because she's like, well, he came here because he thinks that I'm (laughs) I'm police. And he was trying to, you know, tell on whatever was going on. And she does still get the upper hand because she gets the device that Newton was after. And she ends up having to take that deaf guy out (laughs) because they can't be any witnesses to this. But I like that as this is going on, we're wondering what this device that fries your brain is. And then by the end of the episode, we have discovered that, yes, this is a piece of the doomsday machine that Walternet was trying to get Peter to power. And seeing that just one piece of this can destroy a household full of people and what it does, if they put this whole machine together, the results are going to be catastrophic. So I thought that was really interesting in terms of the action part of the episode. The heart of the episode, though, is the Walter has to go to William Bell's will reading. So it's Walter struggling with his relationship with Belly. Him and Astrid have some great scenes in this episode. Him and Nina get a nice moment when they talk about how William has passed. So I thought that was obviously the overarching Peter Doomsday device thing is very interesting. But Walter struggling with the loss of his friend and the ramifications that this will have going forward was very interesting to me. I really think that. The whole thing about Walter having to go to William's will reading really shows us that despite what Walter may have said about William Bell and what we may have thought about William Bell personally, deep down, William Bell cared about Walter. And it's shown in this episode because as the will will is getting read, Walter is sitting there and he's having a very hard time keeping it together and Belly, you know, gives Nina uh, a bell, which is really nice. But uh, William Bell gives Walter an envelope. And we don't find out what is in the envelope until later on in the episode. But we find out that William Bell basically gives Walter the all of the primary shares in Massive Dynamic, making Walter... Take a moment, guys. I'm going to say it again making Walter the sole shareholder in Massive Dynamics. So basically, he owns the most powerful technology company in Fringe right now. So I'm really interested to see if Walter is going to use the technology of Massive Dynamic moving forward to fight the people from the other side. Now Now that he has control of that company he had been admiring for so many years that he was jealous that he didn't have any control over. So it'll be very interesting to see how he deals with that. You mentioned that uh, this episode is very emotional for Walter. I love the scene where Walter has that confrontation with Peter and finally fesses up and he says, everything I did, I did because I felt it was the right thing to do. 
but I acknowledged that it was the wrong thing to do. And I would like it greatly if you could find, if you could find it in your heart to, to at some point, forgive me. He didn't use those exact words, but I really felt that that moment was necessary. And it was really heartbreaking when Peter said, Walter, I'm not there yet. And he just walks out. And Peter is not ready to hear it, which is a shame because we know if he actually would listen, process the information, he might end up seeing it from a different point of view. But even when Walter does get the courage to tell Peter, Peter kind of is dismissive of it and doesn't want to hear it because he's still hung up on that, but you kidnapped me thing. And I get it. But the other part of me is like, but you would have died. You would be dead right now if he didn't do what he did. So I do like when Walter is like, I get it. And I would like to say that I wouldn't do the same thing again, but I know that I'm not strong enough and I probably would have done the same thing again because losing you twice, I can't do it. So I thought that was really nice and really emotional, but I liked that the buildup to it was that Walter got to have some interaction with Astrid on a much deeper level than they normally do. And then that Peter scene is emotional, but it's frustrating for us as a viewer because I get it, but I'm also frustrated. The other thing I'm frustrated at with Peter is that after Folivia kills the deaf gentleman in her apartment, Peter shows up and blood, she tries to hide the body, but there's a, a trail of blood that's just starting to like, seep and peter like almost gets a glimpse of it but then he gets distracted and folivia uses her womanly charms to try and make sure that she can get away with this and so i'm screaming at the tv the whole time like notice the blood for love of god notice the blood and also notice that this chick acts completely different than the woman that you are starting to fall in love with the way that full Olivia acts compared to our Olivia, because to me, I was just taken aback by Anna Tor's performance, the way that she could make full Olivia and our Olivia so, so different. It was kind of driving me crazy too. The way that Anna Tor approaches full Olivia and our Olivia are completely different. So the fact that not only Peter, but the fact that nobody else can notice these little Changes in speak patterns, the fact that full Olivia likes to dance, she likes to drink, she's more outgoing, she's more... She doesn't change her face, but just the way that she is, is completely different. So the so the fact that uh, uh, Peter can't pick up on this makes me insane. And the fact that, I mean, you mentioned it, the fact that Peter doesn't notice the blood dripping from underneath the door is like, dude, what are you doing? And the fact that full Olivia is all over him all of a sudden, when the last time that Peter saw our Olivia, she was very timid and very reserved. So the fact that he can't notice that uh, full Olivia is very upfront, full Olivia is, is, a, is a go-getter, and our Olivia is more reserved and oppressed. And the fact that Peter can't notice that it, it's going to drive us nuts. I'm telling you, man, it's going to drive us nuts. I'm fully prepared for it to drive us nuts. And I also as someone who hates when you get like a ringing in your ears, the scene where they have to fire the gun to make Peter temporarily deaf drove me absolutely crazy. 
but I thought that was a, a clever way, but also the amount of permanent damage that they're doing to Peter in that moment so that he can go into the, the tunnels um, is a little bit crazy, but that definitely is an effective way. And I just love, uh, there was a funny exchange earlier in the episode that I just want to shout out where Walter is talking about how the frequency that it emits, you wouldn't be able to hear it. It is silent, but deadly. And he says, speaking of which, and everybody's just like, oh, great. <laughs> so a classic Walterism thrown in for a little bit of levity in this episode, which does end with that awesome reveal that now Walter is the main shareholder of Massive Dynamic. And if you're excited to see what he's going to do with Massive Dynamic, put that excitement on hold because episode three, the plateau all takes place on the other side. It was written by Alison Shapker, Monica Breen, directed by Brad Anderson, who's directed a bunch of Fringe episodes. It aired October 7th, 2010. And Marcelo, Lincoln's recovering pretty quick. I think that technology over there, for the most part, is pretty solid. I'm really impressed with the technology that they have over there. Lincoln was basically charred into nothingness. And the really creepy thing about that when full Olivia came up to Lincoln on the bridge, he was still alive. The way that full Olivia was acting when she was kneeling beside Lincoln as he was a charred popsicle was really odd to me. And I'm like, your, your friend, your boss is almost dead and you're kneeling beside him acting all cool. What's wrong with you? But in this episode, we discover that, you know, um, basically some humidifier therapy uh, basically regrows his cells. And with a couple more sessions, he'll be back to normal. So I really like how the writers of Fringe differentiate our technology from their technology and showing it and showing how it works. The other thing that I love about this episode is that we see our Livia interact with the people from the other side. And it is very apparent to me again, how much of a amazing fucking actress Anator is because the second that this episode starts, I'm like, okay, this is my Olivia. And we could tell the differences right away. She's very, she's, she's happy, but she's, she's not quite all right yet. And we see it happen all throughout the episode. And when, the French team on the other side investigates this problem, so to speak. Olivia is investigating it, and all of a sudden, she sees the vision of Peter from across the street. So I'm like, okay, uh, perhaps the therapy that the secretary and the French division guy, Brandon, is giving our Olivia to make our Olivia into their Olivia isn't taking place isn't isn't taking full hold yet so i'm really interested to see how that's going to pl- how that's going to continue to affect her and if that really takes hold in the long run also i thought the overall bad guy of this episode was really great because he wasn't a traditional bad guy he was a patient that was given a drug that made him smarter and that led him to do awful awful things for God knows what, but I thought that was a very fascinating take on a bad guy for this week, at least. 
So over there, they also do fucked up drug trials on people that they probably shouldn't. Not necessarily Cortexafan, but taking a guy who had an IQ of 50 and giving him a limitless pill that makes him super smart was definitely interesting. And I like to see how that plays out. The guy that they got to play the bad guy, I think his name was Milo, but the guy that they got to play looks like such a fucking creep. The second we just see him, I'm like, oh, this is the creep. This is the the guy. So I appreciated that it was an interesting story of how this, you know, guy at this building took these pills and became super smart in his relationship with his sister. But just the guy they got to and the way they styled him, it was like textbook creep. So I thought, OK, there was no mystery to that for very long. But I do love. Anna Torv is great in this episode, and her playing our Olivia turning into their Olivia is different than their Olivia pretending to be our Olivia that we saw last episode. So I do like that we notice the difference, but also as Folivia is taking over, the fact that she sees Peter, she sees our Walter, we start to know that the door isn't closed to our Olivia, even though Folivia has mostly taken over. And what I thought was interesting is in the box on our side, nobody is questioning Dunham's actions. But in this, Charlie knows that something is fucking up. And he's like, I don't know what is happening here, but something is off and he can tell. And so he tests her. He says, hey, remember that time we went to an amusement park and you leaned over and puked on these people. And she's like, that wasn't me. That was you. And so I like that someone is noticing that something is off here because if both sides just bought their version of Olivia as Olivia hook, line and sinker, I would start to get frustrated at the writing. So I do like that. Charlie is not ready to let it go. Cause he even has a talk with Lincoln. He's like, like something is up here and he doesn't know quite what it is as he's trying to figure it out. Now we find out that the reason that Walternet wanted this to happen is because he wants to know how our Olivia is able to just cross universes. She seems to be able to do it better than anyone else without any major consequences. So he thinks if they trick her into thinking that she is their Olivia, somehow she will reveal this ability and how she is able to do it so that Walternet and this fringe team can exploit that to be able to come to our universe without causing their universe to be destroyed in the process. Marcelo, what are you thinking as we're learning more about Walternet's plan here? I really love that because like I said, uh, especially last week, um, I was very, very disappointed in that last week was very opaque. We weren't really given any hats on the ground to why, Walternet wanted full Olivia to go into our universe and do recon. And this week did a very, very good job of telling us basically why Walternet wants our Olivia and why Walternet wants full Olivia in our universe. So I appreciated that piece of exposition very, very much because as you guys know, last week I was very, very pissed off at being in the dark um, with what is the overall plan here and what's the point and what are we driving towards? The other thing that I found very interesting when Charlie questions 
you know, is this our Olivia? What's going on here? She doesn't seem right. When he brings it up to Lincoln, Lincoln indicates that he had a a possible thing with for Olivia. So I'm really interested to see how that is going to play out because we do know that Lincoln in the alternate universe isn't together with Olivia. For Olivia is married to a doctor who is never there. So I'm really interested to see how Lincoln might start to notice that the Olivia that's in their universe isn't the Olivia that he that he's always known. So I'm very, very interested to see if he's going to continue to ignore it or if he's going to start to believe what Charlie's trying to tell him and he's going to start to figure out there's something wrong here. There, there's something bigger going on here that they're not telling me. So I'm very interested to see how that's going to play out. Also, I'm wondering why the secretary only told broils about the true identity of Olivia and why he didn't tell the whole team. If Walternet would have told the whole team, do you think that they would have been a little bit on guard too much and they would have let our Olivia know that something was wrong? Yeah, I think you nailed it exactly. He would be afraid that someone wouldn't have a good poker face and would let too much information out or act so awkward that our Olivia would start to question what was real. And if our Olivia can tap into her power and jump back to our side, they can't follow her. So all she actually needs to do is remember she is Olivia fucking Dunham, the Cortexafan queen, and just jump universes. But I, th I think that is why they haven't told anyone other than Walter and Broyles being in the know. But as Charlie has those questions and then he sets them aside, as this episode plays out, the super smart, evil genius guy, he can see in a Doctor Strange-like way every possible scenario. And he runs all these scenarios where he knows that he can get away from the fringe team. But his scenario prediction doesn't work because he doesn't account for the fact that our Olivia is not from their universe. So when they are having a chase, uh, someone from their side would stop and get oxygen but our Olivia doesn't. So she ends up tracking the guy down to capture him. And he is thrown off, not realizing how anybody could have done this because every scenario he ran with the information he had said that he was going to get away and he wasn't going to get caught. But then Charlie is also like, why the hell didn't you stop for oxygen? And she isn't sure why she did that. And that, is a red flag again to Charlie. So after it seems like he had put it to bed and was going to kind of move on because Olivia passed all the other tests, this final note, I think is getting him back onto that. He's got to do some detective work and figure out who this is and why, but this Charlie, I don't know, even if he finds out, is he going to side with Liv and let her know or is he a company man who's just going to go along with it? So I think we still have some really interesting dynamics here. And it is fun that a character that died a season and a half ago gets to come back and back into the fold in a big way. So like having Kirk Acevedo back is just so much fun. And to see this side's Charlie still chummy with Olivia is so nice. So knowing that obviously there's a bunch of 
stuff that's going to go wrong in the future. That's the the one thing that even though our Olivia is trapped, I kind of like that she's getting these moments with her friend who is gone. So that's kind of like the <laughs> the cherry on top of a glass sandwich or something mixing metaphors. But I liked that. And obviously now that our Olivia is starting to have some of her memories bleed through over what massive, not massive over, over what Walter has done to her. Um, and the reason I, I almost mistakenly said massive dynamic is because Brandon is on their side working for Walter And I did like that him and Walter have an interesting talk where he's like, don't you miss being a scientist? And he's like, you idiot. I still a scientist, but now I've got all the power in the world to do my shit. So I thought that was kind of interesting that, you know, we're, we're getting told that Walter is not just some sort of Mr. Secretary. He is still this, those tendencies that our Walter has cut out are still there in Walter. So Marcelo, what are you thinking now that Olivia is having these flashes of Peter and Walter how soon until our Dunham can overtake these fake memories? I would have to say, I think it's going to be midway through. Midway through this season, I think Olivia is going to become aware of who she really is. And after she becomes aware, I think that she's going to try and play both sides in the middle. I think she's going to try and, for all, for all intents and purposes, show them that she is there, Olivia, but on on you know, but uh, on the other hand, she's gonna continue to try and find a way to teleport back to her universe. Also, I think that she's gonna try and use the friendship that their version of Charlie has with her to her advantage, not to put him in any danger, but I think that she's gonna try to appeal to his sense of humanity because. Look, these people, for all intents and purposes, to me, they look like or they feel like good people to me. They just feel like people that have been lied to and that have been fed a false narrative by someone who is obsessed by something that another version of himself did years ago. So I think that if our Olivia asks... uh, Charlie to help her ask Lincoln to help her. I don't think these, I don't think that those two people are company men all the way. So if that situation should arise at some point this season, I think that those two agents being Charlie and being Lincoln, I think they're going to turn and I think they're going to help Olivia ultimately get back to our universe. Now I might be wrong, but I think it's going to go down like that. We will have to see next week as we continue to jump between universes. Next week, we'll be talking about episode four, Do Shapeshifters Dream of Electric Sleep? And episode five, Amber 31422. So if you are watching along, that is the homework. Thanks very much. We appreciate everyone who listens to the show. If you like anything that we do here, please like, rate, review, subscribe, follow, all of that stuff. You can check out our YouTube, Radio 815, if you prefer to listen to episodes that way, or obviously wherever you're listening to us now, we are there. We are on Twitter, at JJUniverse815. 
Or if you have any comments and you use the hashtag Radio815, we will read those on the show. I am on Twitter, at Matt Crandall, if you want to get in touch with me. Marcelo, Twitter's a good spot to reach you. How can the people do that? I'm at CreekFanatic88 on Twitter. Thanks very much for listening. Until next week, Radio 815, over and out. Radio 815 is a Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer Newt Productions.